0: Good morning. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, It is Gary on guns, and I'm pleased to tell you that Brian and Jordan are in from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Uh, We got a couple of comments that have come in uh, from GaryNolan.com, and some phone calls. We'll get to them and then show and tell. Paul says, in the state of Missouri, cannabis is tracked, seed to point of sale. At the end of the transaction, your state ID is then scanned and sent to Missouri DHSS. Can anyone comment whether or not this is reported to the feds? I don't
1: think so, but... I got nothing. I have no yeah, idea. I, have I, no clue I, I don't either.
2: I, I don't think so, but I cannot definitively say that 100% no, that information does not get there.
0: Uh, let me go to the phones, 800 uh, 529 Kevin is on the line with us now. Kevin, good morning. How are you?
3: Very well. Hey, I'm not a pot smoker, but I did go with my friends to the Shangri-La here in Colombia, just to see what it was like. And, of course, I didn't make any purchases. But the whole point was they actually do take credit cards. They actually have one of those little handheld devices uh, that you see at, at small places. And they were taking debit and credit cards. So I don't know if that's something that... There is a oopsie on their part, but they certainly were.
2: This is not my area of expertise because I'm not in that that business. But my understanding is is that they can take credit cards so long as the destination bank that holds the money is in the state of Missouri. Ah, uh,
3: my okay. understanding. Right is on. That the, well, that's, currency... that's kind of cool. Now, here's the thing: in, in ten minutes that I was there, two thousand dollars passed hands it was
2: crazy oh that's a lucrative business there's no question uh, they're they're moving a lot of money around but my understanding is that all of that currency has to stay in the state of missouri whether it's physical cash or digital currency in the form of a credit card so Yep. Well, i just wanted to let you
3: know that yeah they were taking yeah, the credit cards
0: well, this guy that, that sent us the message kevin was uh, saying that he was in arizona where they yeah, didn't take the right. credit cards but here they do all right thank you kevin glad to have uh-huh. you with us okay. On carry uh, on Guns. Um, all right, so it's time for Show and Tell. And, of course, uh, I, I don't know if Jordan did this on purpose, but he pulled one of my favorite firearms to bring in here. But we'll get to it in a moment. Let's start off. With this AR, oh, that is neat, Springfield.
1: (laughs) So yeah, this excuse me, this is the new Springfield Hellion. Um, It came out not very long ago. This is actually the first one we've been able to get that wasn't like a a transfer for an individual. Um, This is a cool little gun. uh, You say AR, but most people would look at it and go, "Oh my gosh, that no." And it it is a, a lot different. It is a bullpup, which just means you've. Moved the action back further onto the weapon to make the overall length of the weapon a whole lot smaller while still maintaining a 16-inch barrel. So 16-inch barrel, 28 and a quarter inches overall. So it's still a very compact firearm, um, which really makes it maneuverable and some of those other things that uh, that people really like. The cool thing about the Hellion is that it is completely ambidextrous. Now, what they mean by completely ambidextrous is a couple things. We can change which side it ejects the shells from with no tools, and it takes about eh, takes about 30 seconds after you've done it a couple times. Um, make shells eject out the right or eject out the left. The charging handle is at the top, much like the European-style HKs are, like a G36 and things like that. So it's a, it's a spring-loaded charging handle at the top. It, it, it's straight in line with the barrel, and then you can pull it to the right or pull it to the left. Um, to actually charge the firearm So any of that is doable Safeties on both sides um, So everything else The cheek pieces, is the same on the right as it is on the left So everything is easy She so can use this as a right hand or a left hand shooter With limited work No tools needed So really cool overall package um, It's fairly lightweight for what it is um, A pretty pretty good um, adjustable gas system as suppressors became more and more popular we see that and you do need to adjust your gas system on a system like this because this is a gas piston system Um, you do need to adjust it so that uh, you can send a because the suppressor sends a whole lot of gas back down that would not have otherwise been sent uh, uh, down the barrel and uh, you can adjust that to make it function better and not be as hard on the weapon uh, because suppressors can be hard on semi-automatic uh, AR-style platforms if, if you don't uh, adjust the gas system appropriately. So all, all in all, just a just a really neat package, and as I said, it's only twenty eight and a quarter inches long, um, and that just makes it this this compact, super easy to use. Takes AR mags, just just a really neat kind of gun. You know, it's pretty clear that it's not an AR. I don't know why. <laughs> don't We're know why used to saying it. that. We see a black gun, and you're like, ha ah. And it takes the same mags. But, uh, yeah, totally different action, uh, different stuff like that. But still, uh, a really, a really neat, different uh, firearm. Uh, something different than just another AR out there. It's really cool. Uh,
0: Springfield
1: Hellion 556.
0: That is neat. I like Springfield. They make a great firearm.
1: Yeah, they make and their Saint AR lines have been really uh, well received and this feels like a really well put together um you know doesn't doesn't have a bunch of rattles doesn't have a bunch of squeaks uh, everything feels good feels heavy feels well made. Yeah. That's it. That's
0: it. Okay. <laughs> uh all right. Revolver, you know, there seems to be a kind of a, a renaissance uh with in the world of revolvers. Uh it, it, I'm, I'm hearing more and more friends in Scott Van Kirk who's a regular on the program and sometime co-host uh, he's getting into them too
1: uh, Revolvers are coming back? They A little bit, yeah and it, of course it's been a couple of years since we've really been able to get many new revolvers because everybody concentrated on the stuff that was selling like crazy your your concealable semi-automatics so for a while from Colt and Smith & Wesson um, we, we couldn't get a, a good selection and we're starting to see that again but they're what most uh, old timers would consider uh, pretty, it's they look different. There's more of a of a of a roundness to them, and more of a pleasurable experience looking at them. Um, and you see a lot of that with some <laughs> of these wheel guns, and the guys get them because they're like, man, that's a gorgeous looking gun.
0: Look at yeah. the grip on that. Yeah, Dang, this, that is.
1: This is a Colt King Cobra. Um, this is their King Cobra carry, so it's a, a regular spurred hammer on it, and it's great. I mean, two inch barrel. 357 six shots. So, there's not much else to say about that. I mean, you don't have any proving to be done for a six shot, two inch 357 revolver. Uh, We all know what those are for. Like I said, the grip is nice. It's a large grip. I got big hands. My hand fits perfectly onto this guy. Um, This is a stainless um, finish uh, on this guy. But uh, this is one of the first King Cobra carries we've been able to have in quite a while. And uh, it, man, its action is just well, it locks up tight. It's just nice to have, a, honestly, a 2-inch, a nicer 2-inch three-eight-seven revolver. It's been a while. We've been able to get one or two Smiths here and there. I've had some Pythons and some bigger guns. But uh, this is a nice carry, and it's in that price range and everything that, that allows it to be a nice, you know, an everyday carry type firearm.
0: Well, it- as they say on TV, but wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, but we're up against the clock, so we're going to have to take a quick break and come back. Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Uh, show and tell segment of the program. Doctor John Lot. He'll be with us shortly, uh, talking about the number of people using a firearm to uh, protect themselves and others. That's all coming up on Gary and Gun. Welcome. It is Gary and Guns. Jordan and Brian in from Potterhorn Guns and Archery. Uh, we're going through show and tell, and right now a 1911. Oh, that is pretty.
1: Yeah, this is a. A beautiful gun and it's been a while since we've been able to get these in. Um, this is a Les Bear Premier 2. Uh so Les Bear is a custom manufacturer over in Iowa, actually not that far from us. Um and this is their Premier Two. So this is one Les Bear is known for making super accurate handguns. Um and they've got a really high end line of just about any type of features you would want. Um the cool thing about the Premier two is they still made it a carry. Um it's a five inch so they've made it a carry pistol. Um but uh what Les bear is known for is that accuracy. They have actually have an accuracy guarantee, which is a, a three-inch MOA. So sh- shoot within a three-inch circle at fifty yards, uh, and every one of their pistols is guaranteed to do that. And of course, to your rifle shooters, that sounds like oh my goodness, that's nothing. But uh, that guarantee means it's going to guarantee to shoot better than me. Um, three inches at fifty yards is a that, that's a really good group for forty-five. You mean if I buy this, I'll be able to do that? It, yes. Yeah, that's right. Just two, shoot three times, bring it back if you can't do it. So, I didn't say you will be able to do it, but you can do it. Oh, uh, that's different. You see you see how that terminology changes? Um, what Les Bear says about their guns is that they're not assembled, they're built. Um, they build these guns one at a time, and they are the tightest tolerances of just about any gun out there that you can get uh when you grab a hold of this it's in a closed position you grab a hold of the slide to to rack the slide back it takes more effort especially before its break-in period because everything fits perfectly there's no slop in this gun um you know, you get a lot of 500 um, 500 to 600 hundred 1911s and everybody in the world makes 1911 now and they're they're okay there's nothing wrong with them they'll function they'll do things great but you shake them you hit them and you feel a little bit of clink 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 clank and there's zero of that in a less bear because it is made to lock up in the exact same position, the exact same way, every single time. And they do that by just the, having the tightest tolerances between parts that any of the manufacturers have. That also means that they have to be built one at a time. Because uh, if you, you open up your tolerances, that does make it easier for the big manufacturers because now they don't have to worry because all the parts are going to fit because fit, there's just enough slop in it that uh, if there's a, a little bit of an error in one piece or another, it all still works together. But, uh, but they don't allow that. So everything fits up super tight on this. And it's just, I mean, it just looks like a, a standard 1911. It's blue. You got your rosewood grips. You've got a nice adjustable uh, rear sight. And uh, a nice a solid front sight. I mean, it looks like a Raider nineteen eleven, but man, the, the action and the reliability of a Les bear is, is almost un. Uh, almost nobody else out there can give you that type of guaranteed accuracy. They're just they're just awesome nineteen eleven. And It's nineteen eleven, so how cool is that anyway?
0: Do you find that with nineteen elevens, you have to keep them oiled up
1: more? <laughs> yeah, versus a modern. <laughs> You know plastic pistol yeah yeah because if you're used to doing something like a, a glock where you you need okay it calls for two drops of oil is really all it calls for and uh yeah you have to do more than that uh, which means you have to clean them more the more oil you use the more you have to clean them because if you carry it every day because you know it's dirty out there dust dirt all of the uh, wonderful things that we get all over our guns that we carry every day how quickly they get dirty you just have to clean it a little more often but uh yeah, they, they do take more oil than a standard one, but still not that much. I mean, it still doesn't take all that much.
0: Uh, I just love the trigger pull. Uh, Steve sent a message. What is the availability of lever-action rifles in something larger than twenty two caliber? Any predictions? <laughs> and uh, when availability will improve? Thanks. Man
1: it is slowly and i do mean ever so slowly gotten better. I think we've had a couple in. I've got, you know, I've got a couple of the 410s, but you can't shoot the 45 through them because they're smooth bore. Um, I have seen a few more. We've had a few 4570s and a few 357 rifles that have come through, but not very many. I still can't just get on there and order one. Um even from like the higher end, the Ubertis, the Petosolis, uh Petrosoles, Um I can't I can't just go order them still. So it's it's frustrating. The Henry Stuff is getting slightly better, so maybe I'll get two of them this year, uh, where I hadn't had any for two, three years. But uh, it's it's frustrating. It's super frustrating. I get it, and uh, we're on the phone every day and on the computer every day trying to find more of them. It's just yeah, they're making their high margin, easy to make stuff first. It's just the and, way it yeah, is. Yeah,
0: who can blame them? That's the way the market <laughs> works. Uh, I love a lever action rifle, uh, and I've got a couple of them. I've got a Winchester that I just love. Uh, And I could probably make a killing selling it now, (laughs) uh, except I'd miss it so much. How many times has that happened to one of you guys? Uh, Brian, where you you got a gun, you've had it for a while, and you think, Nah, I'm going to move on. I'll sell this and pick something else up. And then a year or two later, you say to yourself, I wish I'd never let that go.
2: I can say with absolute certainty that it is 100% of the time. Every gun that I've ever sold or trade it off, I wished that I had not sold it or traded off, and I did just bought whatever I was trading for outright. Um, I don't know why, but they just you make a bond with them, they hold a special spot in your heart, you you become accustomed to them, and you want to keep them. Uh, I, I do not like selling guns. Every <laughs> once in a while, we got to do what we got to do. But, uh, man, I miss them all.
0: Yeah, I do that with guns and cars. Like, what? <laughs> I should have kept that car. Cool um, cars, yes.
2: What about uh-huh. when? Cool cars, absolutely. You don't want to get rid of cool cars. You're coming every day. My old trailblazer out there, eh. But, cool cars,
0: hang on to those. Trailblazers. Well, yeah, somewhere down the line. <laughs> um, Alright, so, uh, we've got a couple more things that uh, we're going to cover, but uh, Dr. John Lott is coming on board. Uh, more Guns Less Crime is the book that really put him in front of everybody. Uh, but he has uh, Crime Research, uh, a terrific uh, website, and he has come out and suggested uh, he's, he's, uh, that when they tell you the number of people who use a firearm uh, to protect themselves, well, it's just it's not an accurate number. And I don't know about you guys, I've heard hundreds of thousands to two million uh, a year use a firearm uh, to repel a bad guy. What, what are the numbers you guys have heard?
1: Uh, similar. Nothing that you would believe other than what you want to believe. It's just one of those, you're like, good God, I I don't know. It's not a, it's not a collected stat, you know, the really, it's just not something that gets reported every time. Uh, Every time someone reports doing something like that, there's, there's not a great way for a large organization to pull all those stats. And so it's, I I don't know. I have no idea what
0: it is. We're going to find out from John uh, what his sources are and how he's going. You know, one of the things that occurs to me is that, um, a lot of times I'm sure, uh, somebody who will, um, brandish a weapon to repel a bad guy, uh, the bad guy runs away, and they don't... I'm sure it happens a lot where they they don't even bother going to the police. Like The threat's over. I'm going to work. Um,
2: Absolutely. There's there's bound to be countless cases every day where somebody somewhere in America uh, having their firearm with them uh, stopped some event that goes completely unreported.
0: Yeah. So we'll find out. John Lott is going to be with us, uh, and we'll talk to him about a couple of school shootings that uh, we've uh, seen this week. Uh, in, and in the meantime, uh, let's move on to, to Matt Goetz. He's a, a congressman from Florida. On Thursday, he said, what's the next move by Democrats to regulate guns? Uh, well, he warned what it is. Uh, to, to declare that firearm violence is a public health emergency. And they'll use that like they did the COVID emergency to limit Americans' freedom. Uh, At a House Judiciary Subcommittee meeting on the ATF's assault on the Second Amendment, uh, Cory Bush, a Democrat from here in Missouri, argued that it's time to declare public health emergency to prevent gun violence. In St. Louis and nationwide, gun violence is a public health emergency. And commence regulations, uh, common sense regulations, are a necessity. That really opens up a can of worms, Brian. Uh, if they can succeed in getting the government to declare that you know this is a, a public health emergency,
2: that probably goes from can of worms to a can of snakes um, real fast. In, in super dangerous territory, um, they they will probably do it, and they will probably get some some traction on that on that motion because the people in those cities. Um, might tend to agree with them. I I sure hope not, but...
0: I... You know, they just... The assault, and we talked about this uh, in in the last hour of the program, the assault on weapons in the Second Amendment is unceasing. And they're constantly looking for new ways. And you got that Bruin decision, which makes it really clear that almost all of these laws are nonsense. And yet you have states like New York and Oregon and California just, you know, poking here, poking there, trying to find a way around. There's got to be a way out of this. There's got to be some place we can go. And they just keep trying. And it's, what scares me is that some clever leftist anti-gunner will come up with some argument where he kind of threads the needle and is successful. Well,
2: their message is needle and thread thin, but nonetheless, it it does gain some traction unfortunately and uh i think that we need more voices like john lots and yours out there just spreading the word that this is all nonsense
0: well um i'm going to talk to well we're going to talk to and uh john in just a few minutes uh there is a piece up at bearing arms dealing with racism and gun laws guns have long uh, have a long and winding history in america uh the story by the Marshall Project published this week revealed that when it comes to enforcing gun laws, black men pay the price, especially in Chicago. The legal system in Illinois that has led to the incarceration of thousands is more uh, in, uh, is more than 60 years in the making, rooted in politics that are inseparable from race, crime, and power. And as we've pointed out in the past, uh, these gun laws that uh, that we're seeing, these gun control laws, rooted in the South when the Ku Klux Klan wanted to come and hang somebody, uh, they didn't want them to be shooting back to protect themselves. And now we've let this spread across the country for decades. We'll talk about that and a whole bunch more with Powderhorn Guns and Archery and Dr. John Lott. Una momento on the Gary on Guns show. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us on Gary on Guns and uh, Powderhorn Guns and Archery on board with us. Brian and Jordan uh, are with us and so is Dr. John Lott uh the website crimeresearch.org it is the bible of information honest and accurate uh that you're not going to get from mainstream media dr john lot with us now and uh there is a story that uh, that uh, john uh, uh referenced and i it was about uh, good guys with a gun and how often they save lives good guys guns save lives more often than reported John, welcome. And and how is it that they're getting this wrong? Why, how how many times do you think a good guy with a gun saves lives? Well,
3: uh, what they're talking about are these active shooting cases. Active shooting attacks are are times when a, a gun is fired in public, not part of some other type of crime like a, a robbery or a gang fight over drug turf and uh, it involves everything from one person being targeted and missed all the way up to a mass public shooting. The FBI claims that over the eight years from 2014 to 2021, about 4% of uh, the 252 active shooting cases uh, that they identify were stopped by somebody uh, with uh, legally carrying a gun. I think uh, it's about 34 percent. Uh, they're missing about 124 cases, and they've misclassified some of these cases as uh, uh, involving as, as what? Involving, involving uh, um, uh, uh, security guards when in fact they were uh, law abiding citizens that had stopped them and uh, uh. And not, that doesn't even take into account the fact that uh, uh, many of these attacks are occurring in gun-free zones. And when I was working in the Department of Justice, I tried to explain to the FBI that uh, you have to separate out those cases. You have to separate out ones where uh, people are able to legally carry guns versus ones cause they don't. You're talking about law-abiding citizens stopping these attacks. And you can't really expect law abiding citizens to stop attacks in places where it 's illegal uh, for them to carry guns, and when you do that, you find that about over you find over fifty percent of uh, the active shooting attacks were stopped by law abiding citizens in places where they were actually legally able to carry guns
0: um, i'm just as 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 an aside i 've seen I've I've read about studies that indicate a good guy with a gun stops, um, and and this is outside of the main conversation, uh, but I've seen uh, anywhere from 100,000 to a couple of million times a year uh, where somebody will brandish a weapon, repel a bad guy, and and, uh, the violence uh, doesn't happen. Is there a study that you trust that you believe that gives an accurate number on that?
3: Well, there's... (coughs) There are two types of surveys that are there. There's are surveys done by the uh, Department of Justice, the National Crime Victimization Survey, and then there's surveys that are done uh, and others by others. And there's one big uh, difference between them, and that is what type of screening question do they have to begin with to try to get rid of false positives. So the National Crime Victimization Survey will ask people, have you been a victim of a violent crime? And it's only if people say yes, are they asked questions about the crime and about how they responded and what what happened. Um, And then the other surveys have a screening question, uh, which will say, have you been threatened with violent crime? you you or somebody you've been with has been threatened with violent crime and that's the reason for the huge difference in the survey outcomes the ones that say a hundred thousand are these national crime victimization surveys by the department of justice well they'll go and and say have you been a victim And, and the the reason is that you know it's I think it's pretty clear that a lot of people who use guns successfully, defensively, uh, don't view themselves as having become victims because they were able to use the gun to stop the attack. And uh, whereas the other ones, which just say, have you been threatened with violent crime, uh, don't exclude those.
0: So you have this big disparity in numbers.
3: You have the big disparity in numbers, but it's pretty easy to explain because of the screening question that's used to try to prevent false positives. That the one where it says, "Have you been a victim of violent crime?" A lot of the people who use guns defensively may not view themselves as having become victims because they may not have been harmed in any way.
0: Interesting. All right, uh, Brian Jordan. If you guys have questions, you feel free to to jump in.
2: That whole conversation makes a lot of sense to me in the fact that uh, if somebody successfully uh, defends themselves and and stops the attack, whether they use force or not, uh, at that point, they would maybe not consider themselves to be victims, even though they, they technically are. And I would answer that question probably no. Was I a victim in that situation? No, I wasn't. But I was involved in a different kind of a situation where I ended up not being a victim, where I would answer yes to the question, have you ever been um, exposed or however they, they worded that question, the second question.
0: Threatened. Yeah, it, Threatened. It's, it's odd that they don't ask the question the right way. It's like they don't want the right answer. Uh, I'm going to take you uh, in a slightly different direction here, uh, Dr. Lott. Uh, the Bahamas has joined Mexico um, to appeal a federal judge's November decision to dismiss a $10 billion lawsuit against U.S. gun manufacturers for deaths caused by firearms. Um, What's going on there? Well,
3: I mean, the uh, gun control groups have worked with Mexico. I assume they probably have gotten involved with uh, the Bahamas. Uh, uh, You have uh, Bloomberg's groups. I don't know what type of side payments or whatever have been made, but uh, they're covering their legal costs. And, uh, you know, it's PR in part, uh, you know, just as you have Chicago or others, uh, want to blame the lack of gun control uh, rather than take responsibility for their own crime rates. Uh, you know, you have Mexico and I guess now the Bahamas, uh, wanting to do the same thing. So it's, it's simply a PR move on their part. Uh, they want to be able to sue I mean, nobody... I didn't think that this particular suit was likely to go anyplace anyway. Um, uh, But, you know, it's... It was mainly just a PR move uh, to go and get headlines and go and just try to convince people generally that violent crime uh, is due to uh, the presence of gun sellers there, law-abiding companies making guns. Uh, What's ignored is is the fact that uh you know less than eight percent of violent crime involves guns in any way Uh, obviously even that eight percent is important but you know it's just like chicago uh there are kind of obvious reasons why a place like uh, mexico has the type of violent crime that it does it has these drug gangs and You know, already, Mexico uh, makes it so that uh, it's almost impossible to legally get a gun in Mexico. Uh, Less than one-tenth of one percent of the adult population is legally licensed to own a gun. Uh, Since 1972, they've had only one gun store in the country. Uh, It's run by the military. Guns are very expensive. You have to pay over a $2,000 fee even just to apply you know no guarantee that you'll get a, a gun license, and uh, the most powerful gun that you've been able to legally buy in Mexico since nineteen seventy two is a twenty two caliber short round bolt action rifle uh, you know that's not the gun that the drug gangs use down there. And they bring in weapons, uh, machine guns, everything else from around the world. Uh, they're not getting machine guns or rocket launchers from uh, gun stores in the United States. Over a recent five-year period of time, the uh, drug gangs in Mexico uh, had, uh, had taken in something like 15,000 grenades uh, that were confiscated by the Mexican military from the drug gangs. They're not going into... Uh, gun stores in the united states and buying live active grenades uh you know it's just very difficult just as they can bring in drugs from around the world they bring in the weapons that they need to use in order to uh protect their very valuable property that they have and the same thing would be true in the united states i mean if i could click my fingers and ban all guns uh, or cause all guns to disappear and to cause all illegal drugs to disappear. How long do you think it would be before illegal drugs started coming back in the United States? If you lived in El Paso, maybe 20 minutes. But how long would it be before they'd bring in the weapons in order to protect that extremely valuable property? It's not like drug gangs can go to the police and say, look, this other gang stole our drugs. Can you help us get them back? They have to set up their own little militaries in order to protect that very valuable property that they have.
0: All right, so now I'm segueing because of what you just said. But do you think that we would have less violent crime if they legalized drugs?
3: Yeah, I think they would. I mean, you look at uh, a violent crime has changed over time uh, with regard to uh, uh, the alcohol prohibition. Um, the highest murder rate we probably had in the United States was in 1932, uh, within two years after thirty two when prohibition ended, uh the murder rate in the United States had fallen by about
0: sixty percent. Wow. You'd think people would learn that lesson. Uh, can you hang on for a, a commercial break costs, because I I'm sorry?
3: There are other there are other costs that you would have by by uh getting rid of it. You'd have more drug use and there's obviously problems associated with that. So I'm not gonna go and argue that's gonna be nirvana by legalizing drugs. But it, you'd have a lot fewer uh, murders and you wouldn't have the drug gangs are responsible for for a lot of our violent
0: crime. Yeah, I, I totally concur. I'm up against the clock and I have to take a break. If you have to run, we'll let you go. But if you can hang on, I want to come back and talk about suing the gun industry in general, because I thought that they were protected by legislation that Republicans got passed. Um, do you have to have Do you have to run? Uh, I, I can wait. All right. wait. Dr. John Lott, crimeresearch.org. I'm Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome, and uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, we've got uh, Brian and Jordan on board from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Uh, we'll go over the firearms they brought here in the studio in a few minutes. We've got Dr. John Lott with us, uh, crimeresearch.org. And by the way, he has got some great uh, books that are available there, uh, Gun Control Myths, The War on Guns, More Guns, Less Crime. Uh, You've got to go there and and look, because this is the kind of research the left don't want you to have. I asked you to stick around for just a, an extra few minutes here, John, because uh, you know I thought that there was protection for gun manufacturers passed by the Republicans several years ago. But increasingly, I'm seeing places uh, uh, that are, that are you know, states where they're filing lawsuits against manufacturers. How are they getting around that?
3: Well, uh, you know, I know Biden talks about this a lot. He claims that uh, you can't sue uh, gun makers or gun sellers because of the 2005 law that you're referring to. Uh, in fact, you can sue them uh, if they've either broken the law, uh, you know, so, for example, they haven't done a background check on a, uh, on a gun properly, or if uh, they sell a defective gun, uh, you know, and it explodes or something when it's fired and people are harmed. Uh, you're So you're still able to sue them. So what some of the states have done, uh, like Connecticut and uh Colorado has a bill right now that they're voting on and stuff is to make it so that, uh, they create other categories of crimes. Um, you know, they'll say, uh, you've tried to market this gun towards, uh, encouraging people to go and do attacks or something like that. Uh, or that, uh, you've tried to, uh, advertise to get, young people who it's illegal for them to go and buy guns to buy guns and uh uh and so you know by creating these new crime categories uh they that they say that the gun makers or gun sellers are violating. uh they think that they could go and create new uh new areas for lawsuits to be brought
0: And the whole point of this is, I assume, to try and bankrupt gun manufacturers.
3: Oh, sure. Well, I mean, uh, Remington kind of went bankrupt. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that was the point of the original suits, uh, you know, 20-some years ago. uh, That's the reason why they passed the protection. You know, at that time, uh, they wanted to hold gun makers liable for any harm that resulted from it. I mean, but you could just imagine if uh, you had uh, lawsuits like that against cars or whatever, where you have drivers who simply weren't paying attention, uh, you know, were talking on their cell phone or were talking to somebody else in the car and weren't paying attention got into an accident. uh, You know, what should uh, Ford and General Motors and Toyota be liable for any damages, any lost wages, any pain and suffering, any hospital costs that the people might have. I mean, you have 4.5 million people that are injured each year uh, in car accidents. Uh, you know, what, what do you think would happen uh, to the cost of buying cars if, uh, if you had that type of liability rule?
0: Yeah, and I think that is their goal org. It is the Bible on honest information about the Second Amendment and firearms. John, thank you so much for getting up at O Dark Thirty and coming on the program with us. Well,
3: thanks very much. I appreciate you being there.
0: Thanks. All right, Dr. John Lott, crime Uh Jordan, before we run out of time, and we've only got a couple of minutes, maybe a minute and a half left, uh, the firearms that you brought into the studio, give yeah. everybody a, a quick refresh so they can Know what they're looking for when they head over to Powderhorn Guns and Archery.
1: (laughs) We do have that Springfield Hellion, which is the long gun. um, And that'll be back over there just as soon as I get it delivered back over there. We open up at 10 o'clock this morning. Um, That's in that 223. We've got the Les Bear uh, Premier 245. That is so so nice. That is slick, isn't it? Um, And that'll be back over there. We've only got one. I think I've only got one of all of these that I brought. Um, We've got, and then we've got the Colt King Cobra. Um, carry King Cobra, carry and uh, that uh, two-inch, three-fifty-seven, six-shot uh, stainless steel revolver. So those will all be back over there here in
0: just a few minutes. Over on Paris Road, that's the one. Yep, that's the one. Powder run on guns and archery. Uh, for those of you who are weekday listeners on the uh, uh, the the regular program, I will not be on on Monday. We've got a guest host sitting in for me because I got called for jury
1: duty. Uh, you guys would want me on your jury, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I like having senior citizens represent me. Oh, but Brian <laughs> hasn't. Nicer. Been, but Brian's not gonna. He's uh... not called. Oh. <laughs>
0: you didn't think I was going to just take that kind of heat, and let, <laughs> no? Nay, 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 nay Perlene. Uh, if you want uh, ammunition, uh, if firearms, pistols, rifles,
1: and don't forget archery. Is is there a, is is like archery season kind of fading for right now? Does it come back later in the e- fall? Yeah, it doesn't start till September fifteenth. The next season we have is turkey season, which is coming up in just a couple weeks. So wouldn't wouldn't it be ideal to start practicing now? It would be a good time to get that shotgun out and shoot that one round.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, for being Thank in you the buddy. studio. Thanks. We got we got to run whatever it is in life that you want to go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.